Kent Annan is Director of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership at Wheaton College's Humanitarian Disaster Institute and co-founder of Haiti Partners, a nonprofit focused on education in Haiti. In this episode, Sherry Osteen talks with Kent about his most recent book, You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. Kent explores how fear and misunderstanding can motivate our responses to people in need and then points to how we can think about immigration faithfully and with love, rather than fear. You're listening to The Distillery at Princeton Theological Seminary. Kent, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thanks, Sherry. Great being with you. So today we're talking about your book titled You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. So why don't you go ahead and set us up by just walking us into why it's so significant to be having this conversation about welcoming the stranger. Yeah, I think about this in a couple of ways. When I started writing the book, it just felt like where we were as a country and a church in the country and and not just in the U.S., but, uh, you know, a lot of countries around the world seeing that this was uh, an important issue that keeps getting more intense. And we've seen over these last few years, it gets more and more intense. So it just felt like I wanted to be one voice speaking into how do we think about this issue guided by faith and by love um, when those aren't all the voices we hear in the news or hear from politicians. So it just felt really urgent to me. Some issues there can be policy differences and, you know, Christians can kind of line up on different places on issues. But for this one, of course, there can be some differences. But at the same time, I think we really don't have a choice as Christians if we take scripture seriously at all, but to be on the side of the immigrant and the stranger. And so it really felt urgent to me to be saying as a church, let's not be swayed by the public discourse discourse that's out there, but let's let's think about how do we think about this faithfully and make sure that we're being swayed by, by love, um, not by fear. Yeah, thank you. In this book, you specifically identify refugees and immigrants, and I would assume that asylum seekers are also included in the folks that you're thinking of, but can you offer us a few definitions of who you're really talking about in this book? Yeah, so immigrants as being this kind of, you know, overarching umbrella term of people who are moving from one country to another. So thinking of immigrants, you know, and of course those who are documented, those who aren't, those who come through legal processes and those who don't, um, I think we want to think about them. Refugees are this kind of special uh, subset of immigrants who are people who are fleeing because of specific danger to their lives and persecution, you know, for religious reasons or political reasons or these different definitions of, of uh, under the UN and these convention of refugees where we say, oh, these are people who are in fear of their lives and they have this legal status and ability to, to flee their country. And so definitely thinking about them and then asylum seekers where this is a lot of the people that we've been seeing in the news at our borders over the last few years, you know, they're really people who are coming and saying, well, we can't wait and go through a three-year application for refugee status like refugees tend to do. But we, we have to, like, we have to run or our lives are in danger. And so then there's this legal provision that they can come and apply for asylum, in a sense, apply to be refugees at the border of our country or at the border of another country. So really thinking 
in all these cases, there, there are different urgency levels. And I think we, the refugee is the clearest case or an asylum seekers, you know, refugees and asylum seekers are this clearest case of immediate danger. But I think it's too restrictive for us to just think of them because so many uh, people in, as immigrants are fleeing because they want better lives for their children or they can't provide enough food each day for their children. And so, so to me, I took a approach in this, there are differences and I talk and give the definitions and talk about different statistics for all these different categories in the book. At the same time, I think to think faithfully for us, so whether it's a refugee or someone who's come from another country because they can't provide for their family, I think as a, a church, uh, we can really think in similar ways when it comes to policy, there has to be some breakdown, but yeah, so those are the different definitions. And and I think there's this overall question that I start the book with and really frame the book with you and I both have uh, sons about the same age, but, you know, I was writing this book and some of these questions and definitions, I was, I was getting a little bit lost. I don't know for other people writing or pastors listening, you know, get hit that, hit that point in a sermon where you're like, wait a minute, what is this about? And you're just a little bit what lost. What am I actually saying? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so I hit that point. I usually have in most of my books and I hit that point in the book and I it came out of the, my little office and my, anytime I'm around my son, a wrestling match is bound to break out. And so, <laughs> you know, I start wrestling with him and I, I think I was trying to catch my breath said, you know, Hey, you know, you know what I'm writing my new book about Cormac and, uh, he says, Oh, whatever dad, you know, he doesn't really care. Um, but then he, then we keep going. I say, Oh, it's about refugees and immigrants. And, Cormac says, okay, yeah, thanks, Dad. You told me that last week. And then we keep wrestling. It was interesting. And then he paused for a second and he said, you know, because he heard me say this and he must have been just hearing stuff out there in the ether of news and everything. But he paused and said, wait, Dad, are we for them or against them? And for me, then the answer is we're for them. But he asked the right question. And I think the, and I bring that up because I think as we, we think about really, we want to think with precision about these different categories of people. But there's also this really basic question that I think we have to answer. Are we for them or against them? Are we for people who are, for some reason, having to leave a home and family and cultural connections and jobs and uh, social ties leave it all to start anew. Are we for people in those situations or are we against them? If we don't start in the right place there, you know, then, then we're, I'm not sure it's worth, worth going into the details. We're not going to agree on everything, but if we start the right place there, then I think we can start wrestling with, with these precise details and policy issues and church responses in ways that are really healthy and faithful and loving. Yeah. I love his question. I was talking with a colleague the other day and we said it should be part of your ministerial preparation to read the Bible with a child. Mm, yeah. They just good. ask better questions. Right. It's, it boils it down, right? It's like the thing that we maybe we're trying to avoid by being sophisticated and they name it, they name it for us, name us the, the real important things. Yeah, that's great. So, so I want to get into that a little bit more, but I'm curious if you could first just talk about how did you get into this work yourself? Yeah, so I was I studied business in undergrad and thought I was going to in political science. Thought I was going to go on that path, and then had a family friend who was kind of a, a missionary, and they worked with missions groups all over the country. And he he said, "Wait, come and do this uh, with me. Let me let me get you to do something for a couple of years before you start you know, in on your career." And I, so I was kind of thinking it as of it as like a Peace Corps sort of experience. So I signed up. 
and went to work with a refugee ministry in Europe. So I lived in England and France. I traveled all over Western Europe for two years. And I, I went, to be honest, I went sort of thinking, oh, this is good work to do. I want to help people. But it was also, oh, this as a 20, 21-year-old, like this is pretty adventurous. I can do this, come back to what I was going to do. Sure. You know, and so all these mixed motives. I went over and then pretty soon I'm working with people who are uh, not just headlines in the newspaper or something, but uh, they became friends. They were the people who beat me in mm-hmm. ping pong at night and uh, beat me in chess. And they re- really started, and one of the questions I asked in the book, it really became this, oh, that could be me. You know, it's not like this other person. It's like, oh, that's someone about my age who left his whole family behind to, to run away from a war in Sierra Leone who who escaped from being a soldier in in Sarajevo where there was a war at the time. And so so for me, it really started there of, of getting to work with and serve and try to help people. But not just that, that they became friends and also shifted the way I thought about refugees as not being other, but as being someone just like me. And and so then I came and went to Princeton Seminary. And the day after graduation, flew over to, I uh, went to Greece first, but then went up uh, immediately up into Albania, where there was a refugee crisis at the time. And uh, there was a war in Kosovo. And so I worked there for six months with with refugees first in Albania and then going into the Kosovo when the border opened up. So it's really, it, I didn't work directly with refugees the last 15 years because I was doing development work in Haiti. But, you know, I, I'm really grateful because refugee friends and the, the chance to work with refugees I really set the trajectory of my whole vocation for the last 25 years, set the, set the trajectory of the studying and, and work I do. So when I saw this topic was coming back up as an important conversation for the church and country. I wanted to make sure I was at least raising my voice in the way that I could to speak out on behalf of people who who I care about and whose plight I think should should move all of us. So is there a particular story that stands out in those early experiences you have of somebody who made a, I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of people who made a significant impact, but is there one that you're willing to share? Yeah, I think... Uh, once I think of in, in that first that first time there were these I ended up being in France and outside the city of Strasbourg and it, it wasn't just one but it was this group of I think like five about five guys from Sierra Leone uh, where there was a war and one guy from Sarajevo and they had just you know they'd all escaped sort of war and violence and they came by themselves like no siblings no parents like jobs language and i just found that really moving because we came we became friends hung out with them every night work in the day and some of our some of my work was helping them and other people in that community but then just i think that shaped me just in this way i couldn't even name or even now i'm i don't quite know how to name it but i think it was just becoming close friends with people and not seeing them as projects or or sympathy but kind of moving from sympathy to empathy and I think it was, you know, being with one guy, I mentioned this story in the book, but, you know, it would sort of seem like friends and like our lives were normal. But then I remember the one guy kind of asking me to, because I spoke French, like asking me to help him go buy rum or something so he could sleep because he was having trouble sleeping. You know, he'd been in the war and it was just like, oh, our, like our lives are similar. We're, we're playing chess together. We're having dinner. And then like, oh, our lives are totally different. Like the trauma that he had faced and, you know what you know you could name it in ptsd i'm sure like i didn't diagnose him or 
or anything, but I, I think it was those early friendships when I was just, I think I was 20, yeah, 21, 22 years old, just shaped everything about how, how I've seen the world and seen people in those situations. And then another kind of similar, but just kind of story that pops to mind is in Albania, we, um, there was this time when people were starting to go back into Kosovo and we would go sometimes to help out at the train station or some UN military presence and stuff there. But one of the things we did on some days was help as people got off a train and they're going back to their homes and we would kind of push a wheelbarrow with them that might be full of everything they had left in the world, you know, so they'd put a couple of suitcases in and it, it you know, sometimes it'd be maybe a mom and some younger children and there's a decent chance that their husband and older sons, you know, had been killed you know, before they had to run maybe when their home was on fire. So that another one where, you know, it's just a, like sort of that physics or some of that, somehow that physical, representation of how stark their situation was, you know, and then so many conversations and having coffee with people, just listening to their stories, you know, so uh, all that I'm horrified for and want to um, have been working to want to change and do my contribution with, and also in, in, you know, sort of a strange way, grateful for that they let me into their lives and conversations and, and try to honor that in how I've told these stories and the kind of work I've done since. What did they teach you about God? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I feel like so much of what I've learned about God is, you know, is from people who have, have lost so much, both there and in Haiti. And I, I think it's, I want a God, and I think most of us probably want a God who prevents suffering, mm -hmm. uh, and we don't get that God. But I think we do get a God who's with us in suffering, uh, God of the cross and the resurrection, not just the resurrection, but also the cross. So I think that's kind of where I've been drawn theologically is to that, that with us and seeing that in people's lives, you know, where they're, they're not just victims, but they're also alive in ways and alive in ways to faith in God's presence that, that I'm not, or that I learned from. And, um, so all that has been part of the process. And for me, it's writing this book about refugees. I think I didn't even realize that even though I'd worked with refugees, I've studied scripture and seminary, all this, but you know, um, the, the Bible is really a story of migration if you go back and, and look right from the beginning, even of Adam and Eve coming out of the garden, if you look at Abraham sort of being this migrant going to, to different places of um, Joseph going into Egypt as a, you know, as a kind of you know, whatever category, if it's a, a kind of human trafficking or kind of as a refugee and he's in Egypt. And we think of Mary and Joseph fleeing with Jesus as, as sort of refugees. Uh, and, and it just goes all the way through and, and theologically the way Paul describes us. So I think that's been something that's a view of God and scripture is, oh, God is the God who's with us and with them even as we have to leave home and, and even as we might feel forsaken by everything else in the world, that God can still be there. I think that's vital. And I think the other vital part I've learned about God just more and more is like, we, we need to be there too. Like those of us who aren't fleeing need to be those who are fleeing. Can you talk a little bit about like kind of our current landscape? We've, you've talked a little bit about this kind of political moment or this cultural moment with particularly with our the presence of asylum seekers at southern border but how would you describe in more detail this current moment yeah it's 
that's a good question. <laughs> it's a good question. It's, you know, I feel like I, in some ways it's predictable. I think if we go back uh, through scripture, if we look at um, sort of God's commandments and in the law and the Pentateuch of, you know, you should welcome the stranger, treat orphans and widows and, and immigrants or strangers, you know, as yourselves, we see that the reason that had to be said then uh, is because there's naturally, we're not going to treat people as one of us, you know, that there is this bifurcation and, and the other can be either rejected or can be held up as a reason for fear. And I, I think that's something I've kept learning, you know, learning and knowing is like our political moment is unique for us in some ways, in other ways it's, it's not surprising and it's kind of runs through so many countries over so many centuries around the world. So, so I think that shouldn't surprise us at the same time. It's, it's, we, we don't want to, to let this sort of fear and rhetoric that's like turning people into others that's blaming people for problems that aren't their fault. It's just a, it is sort of a sick rhetoric where people who are most vulnerable are blamed for things or people are, or spoken about in dehumanizing terms. So, so to me, it's just, yeah, it's sort of an awful moment politically that that's happening to the extent that it is. And, um, I think it's a moment when we have to step up as a, as a church, as people who are faithful to, in practical ways, but also in how we're talking about people and how we're presenting images of refugees? Are we uh, asylum seekers, immigrants? Are we inviting people to maybe give their testimonies in church? So we we are shaping people's imaginations in our churches in better, deeper, God-honoring ways. So to me, these are the questions I've been working on and was trying to write about. And as I go around speaking, I'm thinking about, because I think in this moment, we, we have to stand back up and not let let news or political rhetoric be the, what shapes our, our people's imagination, but we need to make sure that we're helping to shape shape the imagination and the conversation in in better ways. I've thought in, in working in a humanitarian field and for a long time now, like one of the things that I think about along these lines of your question is, I think we have this special tool as Christians, and it's not, I think other religions would have it too, but just as Christians, the importance of confession is one that isn't thought about in humanitarian work very often. And I've found, I've just been driven to confession over and over again in my work with refugees and my work in development in Haiti and working in other countries. And so one of the, the, as I think, how do we respond in a political moment like this? One is to try to argue just as loudly as the other side. Uh, And I don't know if that works or not, but I, I do think it's a moment for confession to say, to say and then to encourage others to think like, what are our fears? And sort of holding a space to respect that people have some legitimate fears in these ways. And and how are we speaking about people? And how have we contributed in some way to this cultural and political moment? So to me, I, I'm kind of drawn towards those questions because in, in, in a way you think, oh, there's going to be this battle between political parties and I would favor the one that's going to be more welcoming and compassionate towards refugees. But then I think uh, thinking Christianly about this and think about your audience here, then I think we want to push a little bit deeper and think, how, how does this shape who we are and how can we talk about scripture? What are we studying in church? What are we, um, what are we doing to contribute? And those, those are all the questions that I think have a lot of opportunity for us to continue to, to make a difference for our communities uh, and our country in this moment.
Yeah. And I love that consideration of confession as an appropriate Christian response. You name that people have a lot of fear at times. And so I'm wondering if you can unpack what are some of the common fears or concerns that you're hearing people articulate when it comes to welcoming new people? Yeah, I think some of the main ones I hear um, that we hear floating around are, oh, they're going to take our jobs. And I think that's an example. I think it's, we don't want to dismiss that. I think that's a fair fear, excuse me, a fair um, concern for for people to have. And so the encouraging thing is if we look at the data and look at what economists have studied, that when immigrants come in, this is including refugees in that category, like there are just very rare cases where it hurts the local economy and almost almost all the time it helps everybody out. So you have new people with new skills and and even the local people who were there before, their wages are going to go, go up eventually. And so I think we, we should be willing to sacrifice and make a difference to welcome people who need jobs, who can't provide for their families, who have left everything behind. But the encouraging news is that fear is largely unfounded, you know, that they'll take our jobs. Another fear is, oh, they're going to be dangerous. And this is talked about politically, like, oh, they're dangerous and crime rate's going to shoot up. And the, the encouraging thing is, if you look at statistically, communities with larger um, larger immigrant populations are actually safer than, like, have less crime rates. And they're very unlikely to commit crimes that yeah. would get them in trouble. Right, exactly. And so, you know, I, I think what happens with some of these fears, it's like the shark attack fear, right? It's like everybody thousands of people on the beach, probably no one's going to get attacked by the shark, but uh, sun cancer might get us, but the shark attack is much more dramatic. And so that's what gets all our attention, you know? So they're, that's the shark attack is sort of, okay, they're going to be, of course, occasional examples of, of some kind of crime committed that are horrible, you know, that's committed by an immigrant or uh, asylum seeker or something. But overall, it's, it, they're just, they contribute to our economy. They contribute, contribute to our safety, and then I think another one that comes up then is like fear that they're going to change our culture. And I think this one almost isn't spoken out loud, but it's sort of in the background yeah. of a lot of the conversations. Yeah. And so I think that's worth confessing and saying, okay, what is it that we're going to lose? And I just think around the world and in the church, like there's so much more to gain. And I think there's so much more to gain just culturally and and in cuisine and and all these kind of different things when we when we have when we have more people but another thing that i think that naturally comes up for us as christians in this moment is like the vision of the kingdom of god that we get in revelation is of every tribe and every tongue gathered together in god's kingdom worshiping uh worshiping together and uh, you know if if we're going to pray Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. And I think welcoming people and being being willing to risk change is part of living out that prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, to welcome vulnerable people and go through the difficulties of diversity, but know that this is, this is sort of the pathway towards uh, hospitality and towards living as God's people. So when you bring up this idea of like being afraid of cultural change, I do wonder if there's some impulse toward, well, we can accept refugees if they're Christian, because that's the right kind of diversity that we want. But the Syrian refugee crisis has, you know, brought a lot of Muslim refugees to the country. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate that when you're talking with Christian leaders? Yeah, I think 
I think we have this chance. Uh, I, was t- I was talking with someone just recently about this. Oh, I was talking with someone. I had a guest lecturer come to my one of my classes, and he's from Pakistan. He's Pakistani. He's on campus for a semester, and so I had him come to speak to my students. You know, he talked about being in a place where it was just two percent Christian and you know largely Muslim, but other and Hindu as well there and. One of the things he says as students were asking him this question of like, how do you have a Christian organization? Like, how do you lead an NGO in such a different context than what we're used to here? And he said, well, you, but when we do our work, like we're we're just by doing really good work and loving everybody, no matter what faith they're from, like we're testifying to God's love. And I, I'm so grateful that we get to do that. And so to me, that's part of what we can do as we welcome people who are fleeing other countries, I think we're testifying to God's love and, and not putting sort of a, uh, a faith test on them before they come, but saying, oh, if you're, you're still one of God's children, you're fleeing, your family's in danger. And I think remembering the context of this, that refugees who are eligible for resettlement, it's only about 1% of refugees in the world are eligible for resettlement. And those are the most vulnerable, you know, who their lives are really in danger in some ways. And so to me, uh, I think we should be willing to willing to welcome, um, and we do that out of God's love, and 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 we kind of let it let it go from there. I mean, I think trusting that God wants us to love and to reach out and be there for people, and uh, and not let other people die who are because they have another faith. So I think in some ways these issues get super complex, mm-hmm. and I think there are other ways. Like I mentioned, my son's question. They get pretty simple. And I think as a Christian, if we think about Good Samaritan, if we think about God's love in, in so many ways and welcoming the stranger, um, if someone else's life is, is, at, is at risk, um, I think as Christians, we should be ready to welcome them. So what are some ways that you think you can cultivate the ability to even see or recognize a stranger? Because uh, it seems like we think we would love to think that of course we have this imperative to love the stranger, but I think there are moments where we, we can't even see or recognize that that work is out there for us to do. Do you have thoughts about that? I do. And I think I was thinking about this, you know, writing the book and thinking, Oh, what do I, I'm not really, I'm not a political scientist. So I start thinking, okay, it's not really a book about policy. And then I thought, well, I think this is actually an issue it goes exactly along with your question. This is a discipleship issue, you know, to put it in, in really Christianese terms, mm-hmm. the, that we are given the opportunity to grow as followers of Jesus by growing. And I love that how you frame that question by growing in being able to recognize the stranger. And so I think that happens in a number of ways. Like one, uh, I, I give sort of practices that people can do. They're sort of spiritual and practical practices at the end of each chapter. But I think one of the things we can do is say, wait, is there anyone in my life? You know, maybe there's the clerk who I talk with briefly at 7-Eleven, you know, where I get my coffee, you know, every couple of days. Or is there someone at work? Like, is there some someone who probably has a story like this in their life who I've never really asked them their story? Like, what, what are they living with? And I think that's this kind of discipline of attention, practice of attention where you, you, we want to be respectful and not force people to tell their stories, of course. So they're all kinds of respect, especially in the current climate where, you know, probably don't want to ask a stranger this. But I think, yeah, I think for each of us, is there someone we 
know whose story of crossing borders you know we can listen to and care about and grow an empathy for them like i think that's a beautiful thing and you know one of the things you talk with refugees here you know there's so many struggles in their lives but one of one of the ones uh, that's not surprising but maybe we don't think of at first would be loneliness or just mm. the difficulty of having friends as they come to a new place and so uh, some different groups help kind of match up people to to become friends with refugees and just be a support and be part of their social network so i think that's one, I think another, so just kind of being friends and are the people we can listen to and have those kind of conversations with and see where that leads. I think uh, another one is taking the time to not skip past the news stories, but read the kind of deeper news stories to really understand people's situation. I think having these conversations, I think church is a place where we should get together and talk about the sort of political issues with this, which will make um, makes people nervous. But when I, I go and speak at churches about this issue regularly and you know there are people in churches who are on the different side opposite sides of this politically like in most churches even like it's uh, probably in most churches it's gonna be 80 percent one way and 20 percent the other and it could be mm-hmm. on one side or the other on these issues but i i think i think what happens sometimes it gets pushed to the side because it's going to be too much of a hot button issue but i think oh no as christians we have this chance to love each other and get together and have discussion and and find ways to do it respectfully and and listen. So I know that's a little bit idealistic, but I also see that it can happen and um, that it can change things when when people are willing to get together and not to argue with each other, but to listen to each other. And so, you know, these are some of the ways where I think we we can let our armor down some, listening to our neighbors, listening to each other, thinking about how that ripples out into our community and country. And I think these are essential practices right now in our in our world. Yeah, I like that you described it as a discipline of paying attention. Like it's actually like a muscle you can work out and practice. Yeah, for sure. And then and then probably what happens is you develop some kind of relationship and then you know suddenly like this happens in lots of different areas of life but then you know suddenly you have that conversation and maybe it's someone from Guatemala who's come up and then suddenly you start noticing wow there are a lot of news stories about Guatemala and you actually slow down to watch them or to read them and and I think once we start doing that paying attention and then that can lead to relationship and then it really becomes it starts to change who we are in really beautiful ways. You've been listening to The Distillery at Princeton Theological Seminary. Interviews are conducted by me, Dale Rounds. And me, Sherry Osting. Our producer is Ni Otto Abrams, and our assistant producer is Amara Peterman. The Distillery is part of The Thread, an online platform with resources on culture, spiritual formation, and leadership. To find out more, visit thethread.ptsem.edu. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And while you're at it, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Until next time, thanks for listening.